Hello and welcome. You're listening to Behind the Podium, a podcast dedicated to all things Olympics as they happen and as medals are won. We're your hosts, Ella Smith and Daniel Lacerdo. In each episode, we'll update you on how the Aussie team is faring in Tokyo, have panel discussions with experts and athletes, and share our Olympic predictions. In today's episode, Daniel and I will be previewing what promises to be an Olympic Games like no other. To help us get ready for the Games, we'll also be speaking to Olympian and commentator David Culbert to see what he's looking forward to in Tokyo. So let's get straight into it. Daniel, we started off the Games with a bang. Brisbane won its bid to host the 2032 Olympic Games, which was super exciting. So tell me, what happened on the field? Yeah, that's right. So Australian Olympic action kicked off on Wednesday this week with our Aussie softball spirit team losing 8-1 at the hands of host Japan in the first Olympic softball match played since Beijing 2008. The spirit made amends yesterday with a 1-0 victory against Italy. The Matildas football team started their quest for Olympic gold on a high note, seeking trans-Tasman rivals New Zealand 2-1 after a masterclass performance from captain Sam Kerr. Last night was a historic outing for the Aussie under-23 men's football team, with the Aussie Roos defeating South American giants Argentina 2-0 after goals from Lockie Wales and Marco Tilio. A controversial red card against Argentina on the stroke of halftime smoothed the passage for the Aussie Roos, with the result all but sealed after Marco Tilio's second half wonder strike doubled their lead. Ella, what did you make of the performance last night? I thought it was amazing. I actually had goosebumps watching parts of the match. It was absolutely fantastic. And it really showed that the Oli Roos are a strong underdog coming into the Olympic Games. And I think that that was really well represented in the two goal scorers. So of course, we had Lockie Wales. He played fantastically. He was actually a last minute decision to start on the field, which was obviously the right decision because only in the 13th minute was when he scored his goal. And then we've got Marco Tilio, who came on with five minutes to go of the game. Within 90 seconds of being on the field, he scored the second goal for the Australian team, which was awesome. And I think that this underdog representation was really shown in the player of the match, Thomas Deng. He's got a remarkable story. He was actually born in Kenya to two South Sudanese refugee parents. And it's fantastic that he's made it to Australia and now he's captaining Australia at the Olympics. Yeah, you mentioned those three players there, Lockie Wales, Mark Tilio, and Thomas Deng. And they're three players who all came through the A-League pathway. And it's important for me because 10 of the 15 players featured in last night's game came directly from the 2020-21 A-League season which for me points to a greater importance of getting quality game time into players aged 17 to 23 in the Australian setup, as this is so crucial to nurturing a stronger senior team that can continue to challenge on the world stage. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it is a bit different with the Matildas who are allowed to play all ages. In fact, 13 of the 18 strong squad are at their second games, which is really different to the Oliroos. Now, I want to talk about another important match that happened in the women's football, and that was Sweden beating the US women's national team. 3-0, which was a major shock as the US are ranked number one in the world. But that said, Sweden did win silver at Rio in 2016, so they are really hot contenders. Now, the importance of that to the Australians is that Australia and Sweden are going to be playing each other tomorrow on Saturday the 24th. And we really don't know how it's going to go because the last time these two teams did play each other, they drew nil all and that was in June. So I think that's going to be really exciting to watch. Yeah, it's going to be a massive match, isn't it? What also took precedence on the Matildas game the other night? was Matilda, before the game, they held up an Indigenous flag in their team photo as a sign of unity and standing up against racism in all stages of football. The Matilda starting 11 featured two Indigenous Australians, being Lydia Williams and Kaya Simon. And they're part of a record 16 Indigenous athletes in Tokyo this year, the highest we've ever had on an Olympic team. And it's a figure that we hope will grow in the coming years. Yeah, it is a historical Olympics for Indigenous Australians, but it's also historical in the amount of female athletes that we've got participating. There is the highest percentage of Australian women competing the Olympics, with 261 of the 487 athletes being female. 
Yeah, and within those female representation, obviously you have some really strong chances for medal hopes. We talk about Indigenous athletes earlier. Obviously, we have Ash Barty, who's going to run off that high of Wimbledon only a few weeks ago, running into Tokyo with a good chance for a medal. In the men's side of things, we obviously have Paddy Mills, our male flag bearer for this year's opening ceremony and the first Indigenous flag bearer in Australian history. He's going to try to lead the Boomers to their first ever medal after coming so close in Rio de Janeiro five years ago. Now let's speak to someone who can only be described as an expert in the Olympics. David Colbert is a two-time Olympian and two-time Commonwealth Games silver medalist in the long jump. He hosted a podcast, Tokyo Together, where he spoke to Australian Olympians and will be commentating athletics and canoe slalom for Channel 7's Olympic coverage. Thanks for joining us, David. What can you tell us about Australia's track and field athletes this year? Yeah, we've got a great team. It's probably one of our strongest teams for many years. And I think in some ways COVID has helped that because you know athletes have relatively been able to train without too many impacts. It hasn't always been the case for, for all of them. And interestingly, it's probably been in the last you know month or so where it is, has had more of an impact on Australia's athletes than the international athletes who are a bit more open. So, you know, we've got a situation where our Sydney athletes at the moment are stuck in Sydney and haven't been able to get out up to Cairns for the final training camp. So that's been an impact. And interestingly, we've got more track athletes than field athletes. And there's probably a couple of reasons for that. Again, the fact that our athletes have been stuck at home and haven't chased the international circuit has meant uh, the focused a bit more on their training, particularly in the middle and long distance. And I, I really think it's had a huge impact in reaching the qualifying standards. And there's another impact in, in athletics that's making a huge difference, and that's uh, shoe technology. So led by Nike, there's been a new development in shoes, and they've made a significant impact on the times, particularly in the middle and long distance. I think you might remember it started with the marathon when they, they did that activity to try and break two hours in the in the marathon. And it, it spread down into the middle distance shoes and also the sprint spikes now. And so that's had a huge impact on times and the combination of those factors has meant that we've got full complements in many of the middle and long distance races, which is which is awesome. So looking wider past the track and field athletes, are there any sports or sports people you're looking forward to watching in Tokyo? I'm certainly looking forward to the events that I'm calling. So I'm also doing the triathlon men and women in the mixed relay where we've got a Australian team has got a really strong chance for a medal in the mixed relay in particular. And the canoe slalom is another event that I'm commentating so Jess Fox is the favorite for the gold medal in both the C1 which is a new new event at the Olympic Games for women that's canoe and K1 kayak which she has already won a silver and bronze medal in the last two Olympics but you know she's the number one in the world she's been ranked number one in the C1 since 2013 She's won seven world titles across both of those events. But when you watch the World Cup races and the World Championship races, et cetera, the margin for her is so small that, you know, to be on the podium is a, is a fantastic effort. So that will be interesting. I'd love to see the Boomers get a medal. I'd love to see the Opals win for the first time. The materials will be fantastic. Absolutely. We're really excited. Now, David, you mentioned earlier about the postponement of the Games, how that actually has been seen as a positive by some athletes. And we've listened to a lot of interviews and spoken to some athletes ourselves. And this has been a common thought that some athletes have actually appreciated the postponement. Do you think that the postponement may have helped the Australian team to gain an advantage over their competitors? Probably. It's it's very difficult. It, and and even within countries, it's it's different. You know, looking at some of the research that I've been doing on canoe slalom, for instance, there are a lot of athletes that, that are employed in, you know, there's a lot of police officers, for instance, in Germany, and there's a lot of army 
officers in Poland and the Czech Republic, etc. You know, they don't go anywhere near the police force and the army. They're effectively just employed to be athletes. And so they weren't subject to some of the harsh restrictions that were in, in action in some of their countries. But in some places like France, where they had a, you know, a hard lockdown that applied to everybody, you know, athletes weren't able to leave their houses. Whereas in Australia, even in Victoria, where, where I am, where we had a 112-day lockdown, after the first few weeks, most athletes were able to get a permit to go out and be able to train. Some facilities were closed, so that, that had an impact. But, you know, we're relatively unscathed compared to some countries that have had a huge impact. What we don't know in sport like athletics is what impact has it had in places like Africa? What will it mean for the Kenyans and the Ethiopians and the, and the like that often dominate some of those sports? Yeah, it will be very interesting to watch that in the whole two weeks of competition. So on your podcast, as you mentioned, David, you spoke to Kate Campbell in May this year, who has since that podcast been announced as a fake female flag bearer for Australia in the opening ceremony. Do you think uh, receiving this honour will help Kate boost her performance in Tokyo? Uh, so the first part, you know, great honour with her and, and Patty Mills to be announced as the flag bearer. It's interesting that in the main, swimmers aren't able to, to participate in the opening ceremony because of the nature of the competition. But because the finals of the swimming in Rio, um, in Tokyo, are in the in the morning, it means that the first day of heats isn't until the evening rather than first thing the next day. And I, I'm not sure if Kate's even on in that first day, so she's effectively got you know a day and a bit to to rest up. And who knows what the opening ceremony is actually going to even look like with such a small number of athletes competing. So it probably all goes in her favour. It's a great honour. She's deserving of being, you know, what is effectively the team captain and the flag bearer. It's something you carry with you forever. So whether it boosts your performance, look, I don't think it makes any difference, to be honest. Once you're on the start blocks, you're not thinking about how how much of a thrill it was to carry the, the flag at the opening ceremony. There's always a lot of pressure on our swimmers and invariably it comes down to how the US are going and how, they, how they're going compared to Australia to work out how many medals we win. Yeah, and also shifting the focus from obviously a four-time Olympian in Kate to the first-time Olympians, there will be 307 Australian athletes making their debut in Tokyo in the next fortnight. So for you, David, obviously as a long jumper who made his debut in Seoul at 1988, can you sort of speak to the emotions that you were feeling ahead of competition and provide some sort of insight as to what these Olympic debutants will be feeling ahead of Tokyo? Yeah, so for for all of them, it will have been the... You know, to make it, to be announced in the team, et cetera, is the culmination of a dream that they've had for, for many, many years. Some, it might only be the last couple of years, but for most, it's since they were little kids watching the Olympics. So, you know, if you're a six, seven, eight, ten-year-old watching these games, um, you know, thinking about, say, being in Brisbane in, in 2032 or the next games after that, then, you know, that's what these athletes were like. So a tremendous honour and thrill for them to to finally get there. The The whole games experience will be... You know they don't know what they don't what they're missing, right? So, in any normal circumstances, the games is just enormous. You know the the number of people, the busyness of the village, the training track where you know all the world's best athletes are there. If you've never been to a world championships, or you know, it's a big step up from Commonwealth Games. You know you see famous people everywhere. All of those things can be very distracting and very tiring. But what these debutants are going into is something that's completely different. And hopefully something that they never have to experience again. That is, they'll have to spend most of the time in their rooms. You know, there's constant COVID protocols. They're encouraged not to go anywhere or do anything. You know, you're not leaving the village. And then when you're competing, you're doing it without a crowd. So 
in many ways, I feel desperately sorry for that group because they're, they're not going to experience all of the things that a lot of their you know, two-time, three-time Olympic colleagues will have experienced. But having said that, I'm firmly of the view that they're better off to have been getting the experience and, and being there rather than having the games cancelled and not having it at all. So It definitely is. Um, David, I just wanted to ask one follow-up. You mentioned um, earlier about the African nations you think will be going in athletics given the impact that COVID has had on that continent. And I was wondering... Do you think that because of how COVID has, I guess, disproportionately affected different parts of the world, do you think that this will be a fair Olympic Games in the sense that some countries were unable to prepare as best as they normally would? So the simple answer is a sad one, is that no, it won't be fair. In fact, it's going to be very unfair and it's going to be unfair for a whole range of different reasons. It's very unfair that Alex Demonor picked up a positive COVID test and is out of the games. And that's going to happen every day for the games, that gold medal favourites will be withdrawn after heats, after semifinals, before gold medal matches, et cetera. You know, that is desperately unfair on, on those particular athletes. And so in a lot of events, there will be, you know, an Olympic champion who will feel that, you know, they've been a bit lucky for, for whatever reason. It's desperately unfair that some countries have had harsher restrictions than others and much more impacts of COVID than, than other nations. I think the other element that is going, we won't know about for a long time, is the unfairness of doping and its continued shadow across many Olympic sports and the fact that COVID has meant that for those athletes and nations that have got the propensity to cheat, then they've effectively been given a, a free pass to do so um, because of the restrictions in being able to test properly. And so all of those things will add up to meaning that, it, that that it's unfair. And it's a bit hard to work out how to deal with that, isn't it? You know, is it right? No. Is it the way it is? Yes. You know, do we like it? I'm, I'm torn about this all the time because it will be unfair. And it'll affect Australian athletes. I've already seen that. And it'll affect athletes from every country as we're seeing every day in the, in the final lead up to the games that athletes who have trained so hard and sacrificed so much aren't going to be able to get to the start line because no fault of their own. They've picked up a positive COVID test and they're out of the games. So now after hearing David's predictions for the games, do you have any bold predictions for Tokyo? I do have a bold prediction, but before I say it, I have to say that as David told us, it is going to be an unfair Olympics given that how differently COVID has impacted different countries and regions to much different extents. So if my prediction is wrong, I will be blaming that. Now, my prediction Uh is that Australia is going to win 20 gold medals. 20. Yes, I know it's bold, but I have two main reasons for that. The first is that there are athletes going who are going, hopefully, to win several gold medals. Obviously, there's Jess Fox, which David mentioned, in the C1 and K1. And then we've also got Kaylee McEwen, the backstroke swimmer, who broke a world record in her Olympic trial and will be competing in the 100 metre and 200 metre backstroke. But then we've also got other swimmers who could win gold in their individual event, Ariane Titmus, Elijah Winnington, Kyle Chalmers, just to name a few, who could win gold in the relay as well. And my second reason is that there are new events introduced this year. The first one is BMX Freestyle Park event, which Australian Logan Martin is looking red hot to win. And then, of course, we've got surfing, where Sally Fitzgibbon's world number one with a crazy amount of WSL titles under her belt is looking good to win. That's interesting because if I recall correctly, I think 17 gold medals is our record, isn't it? That's right, 17, but I reckon we can nudge it to 20 this time. What about you? What are your predictions? Well, well, I hope your prediction comes true, that's for sure. 
my prediction is not dissimilar to yours, I suppose. It's it may count towards your gold medal count because my prediction we mentioned them earlier. I think the Matildas are going to win gold in Tokyo. The Matildas. <laughs> Explain right. that. Yeah, and it's it's it's. Look, I understand your hesitancy. I, I get it, but let me give you my argument, okay? So for the ninth ranked team in the world, which obviously isn't first, but it's top ten. So that and they have class players. We have players like Sam Kerr, who I mentioned earlier. She's come off playing with Chelsea with England, the top goal scorer, the Golden Boot winner, and she won the WSL Women's Super League with Chelsea this year. As the right back, we have Ellie Carpenter. She plays the Olympic Lioness in the French League and just came off being named the French League team of the season. Now, the problem with the Matildas in the last five years is they've always had that stumbling block at the last hurdle. In Rio 2016, they suffered in the quarterfinals a penalty loss to Brazil. In the 2019 Women's World Cup, they again faltered on penalty shootouts against Norway in the round of 16. So what's changed since then, you may ask me. Last year, they appointed a new coach in Tony Gustafsson. The team's in strong form. As I mentioned earlier, Sam Kerr's coming for Golden Boot year. Ellie Carpenter's just been named in the French League team this season. And we have players playing in all the best clubs in Europe. We have Premier League, the French League, Spanish League, and I think even the Dutch League. So I'm picking them to channel their past failures into victory in Tokyo. Well, look, that is a bold prediction, but I think you're right. We do have some really strong teams going into the Olympics. We've got the hockey teams, the rugby seven teams, the basketball teams, and of course, our football teams as well. So yeah, I think it's going to be really exciting for us this year. Now, final topic. We can't talk about the Olympics without talking about the COVID precautions that are in place. So the athletes have mostly all arrived by now. Each country has its own bubble where athletes are not allowed to mingle with athletes from other countries. COVID is obviously unavoidable. As of today, there have been 106 cases related to the Games, uh, 11 of those who are athletes. But then there's also athletes who've contracted COVID overseas and actually haven't been able to come into Japan, like Alex Demonor, who is the Australian tennis player, who contracted COVID in Spain and is not going to be allowed to go into Tokyo. Japan's been really strict with their precautions. They've got daily testing for athletes, coaches and officials, masks at all times, no crowds watching any of the competitions. But my favorite precaution is that they've introduced anti-sex beds. That's right, single beds made of cardboard, which supposedly collapse when jumped on, and that's to prevent inter-country mingling. Daniel, what are your thoughts on this? Yes, as you mentioned, Ella, these anti-sex beds have allegedly been put in in the Olympic field to stop just that, you know, anti-sex. It's interesting because some athletes have sort of debunked these claims because I've seen video of some athletes jumping up and down the beds without issues, claiming the reports are just fake news. But that being said, I don't know about the effectiveness of it either because on arrival, each athlete was given 14 condoms each, but that totals to 160,000 condoms in total. Tokyo officials have said that these condoms are simply being given out to spread awareness of safe sex practices rather than being used in Tokyo. In Rio five years ago, there were about 450,000 condoms given away. And I think it's pretty common knowledge to know that the athlete's village is a bit of a, a party village, if you will, at the end of competition. So watch this space, I suppose, on the anti-sex beds in Tokyo. So there you have it, Daniel. Let's hope that these beds are the only COVID precaution to fail over in Tokyo. We'll get into the additional precautions that the Australian team is taking when we speak to the medical director of the Australian Olympic team, Dr. David Hughes, in next week's episode. Now, quickly, Daniel opening ceremony it's happening tonight there's going to be no crowd there's going to be high-tech drones filming everything for us to watch at home what are you expecting i'm not sure to be honest with you <laughs> it's going to be but I, I think what i can tell you is that i think it's going to be a great ceremony i'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing patty mills obviously the first indigenous male flag bearer or flag bearer at all for that matter to, to lead the team with kate campbell too obviously a four-time olympian this this year and looking for a massive hall in tokyo I think it's going to be a great celebration of this the last year that Evans endured, and it's going to be a bit of a celebration of the sort of human spirit that we've endured over the last year. 
a lot of his athletes have obviously it's been very tough for them last year trying to actually find ways to train ways to actually stay fit and stay in shape and they made the Tokyo I think that's a that's something to celebrate in and of itself so thanks for tuning into Behind the Podium. It was great chatting to David Colbert and discussing our picks for the Tokyo Games. Let's hope our predictions come true. Now be sure to keep an eye on your podcast feeds for more good stuff from us and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Central News UTS. Yeah, and we'd love to hear how you think the Aussie teams are going. Send us a message or tweet at us and don't forget the hashtag Behind the Podium. It's going to be a big weekend for our Aussie athletes with the football kicking on and the swimming, rowing and basketball set to begin. So with that said, take care, go Australia and we'll be back Tuesday, bringing you everything Olympics straight from Tokyo.